Well, as we near the end of our readings in the book of Acts, our passage today gives us a, a glimpse into the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. If we read more of this context around it, we would see that he's traveling back to Jerusalem. He's on his way back, and, and because of the persecution in Jerusalem, it was feared that Paul would never be allowed to leave Jerusalem, that these men would never get to see Paul's face again. And so in a very real sense, Paul believed that this was his last words of instruction for them. Now, we know, however, toward the end of his life, he would take the opportunity to write them uh, while he was under house arrest. He had the opportunity to give them some more instruction, but he would never see them face to face again. But we can see the, the emotion in these words, and especially in his last paragraph, his last verse, as they all weep through their prayers because they know They'll never see him face to face again. A few years back, I forget how many now, it seems like it's more than 10. I don't, I don't remember for sure how many, but there was a good friend of mine that uh, we crossed over in seminary. He was a, a, a very respected pastor in the PC. I think his senior year was my first year, so we barely passed over. We always greet each other. Whenever we'd see each other at, at, at General Assembly, we'd always spend a few minutes to catch up, and he was just a, 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 a man to watch, to emulate, to want to, to want to pursue and be like. He was a wonderful pastor, a man that was committed to the gospel. He was also an avid bicyclist, and I remember getting the news that he was cycling uh, near in the community in which he lived in Arizona and had a horrible ass accident. And the accident ended up taking his life there in the hospital, a broken neck and other, other injuries. And I was crushed. I was crushed. And I was thankful, though, that I was, easy, that I was able to look up his church on the Internet and, and listen to his last sermon, not knowing, of course, that it would be his last sermon. And knowing Mark's passion for the gospel, it was such an encouragement to hear this brother preach. Paul didn't know if he would ever be able to see these people again. What is his message? What does he want to leave with these elders that are going back to a church that he spent the most time with in his ministry? As he meets with these elders of Ephesus, he begins this first half of reminding them of the ministry model that he set for them, what he was like as their pastor for three years. And then the second half of the message, and the second half of this message, he seeks to encourage them how they were to continue on in the, in the ministry of God's Word. What I think is somewhat strange about this message is what he says at, is right at the end. He quotes Jesus, and, and by the way, there's, there's no quote of this in the, in the gospel. Somewhere along the way in his, in his conversations with the apostles or, or someone, another witness of Christ's ministry, he heard that Jesus had said this, or maybe Jesus revealed it to him himself. But he quotes Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What a strange way to summarize his message. I mean, pretty much the only time we hear these words today are at Christmas or from a prosperity preacher. It's more blessed to give than receive. Give, give, give. Or maybe for my brother's birthday. I mean, it's strange, isn't it? Uh, how in the world does that fit 
within Paul's description and summary of his ministry to them and his encouragement and challenge for them to be faithful in continuing the ministry of the Word. Well, in very real way, the ministry of the Word is the gift that keeps on giving. Paul was willing to give his life so that others would, would, would receive the Word. He is encouraging these elders to continue to, to give their life to the sheep as you give them the Word of God. It, it's a ministry of the Word. The Word is the gift that does continue to give. Let's consider Paul's ministry model for the church. There are several key words or phrases that describe Paul's character as well as his call to the ministry. He sees himself, and you see this all throughout the Scriptures. He sees himself as a servant of the Lord. I'm tempted to say the servant, but he's not the servant of the Lord. He sees himself as the worst of the worst, but he is a servant. That is how he refers to himself all throughout the Scripture. In our passage as well, I served the Lord. He was not interested in making money or gaining notoriety or being the, enjoying the, the easy life of a popular preacher. He lived a consistent life that anybody could respect. He had nothing to hide. And so in verse 19, he says that he served in great humility. I, I love the fact that he began there in describing his ministry. I served among you in great humility. Humility, not as a religious celebrity demanding that others serve him. In our culture, however, the, the idea of humility or a humble person normally is not thought of as someone who is a giant in the faith, but rather it's thought of a person who is weak and easily walked over. They don't stand up for themselves or, or even take a stand of any kind. Last night, Wendy and I had the wonderful time together at the T-Mobile Center, I know a couple others that went there last night as well. We watched a comedian that is a uh, um, massively popular right now. He is on every late-night talk show that you can imagine. He's drawing massive crowds wherever he goes. He's incredibly skilled at making himself look like the fool and doing it in such a clean and wholesome way. He mocks his own stupidity. And, but I, I consider his, his humor to be incredibly intellectual. Uh, it, it's incredibly crafted. Uh, he is not a, a fool, but he plays it so well. It's, it's the art of self-deprecation. It can come across as humility, and maybe he is a truly humble man. I have no clue, obviously. But there are many people who, who have the art of self-deprecation who are incredibly arrogant. Who can say, and I've known many, many Christians this way who practice this art so well, they seem to be beating themselves down all the time. It's what we've called around our houses the, the Eeyore complex. Oh, woe is me. I'm such a worm. Don't you feel sorry for me too? But don't you think, I would love, to, I need to hear how good and wonderful I really am because I think I'm such a worm. Uh, people have a tendency, some people, some people have a tendency to crave the empathy of others but they're not truly humble. And some truly are. Some truly are humble and recognize their own humility and, and are, are seeking the glory of Christ. But there are many that seek the praise of man and pretend to be humble. 
true humility is not a, a, um, a type of person that is just easily walked on. True humility is a confident person, a person who knows who he is, who knows what he believes, but he is willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of others. Literally willing to place himself under in order to lift up other people. It's true humility in order to care for the needs of others as being more important than his own. Paul certainly served in humility, willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of the gospel. I oftentimes would talk about my dad in that way. A man that was willing to do some, some, some outrageous things from the pulpit simply so that you would never forget the scriptures. I remember one time being so envious of my brother because it seemed like my brother was always behind all the, the antics, so, so to speak, my dad would pull. My brother was the one that was up in the choir loft at the other end of the, the thin little line of, of fishing uh, line, and he had a dove, a fake dove. And my dad preaching on, on, on the baptism of Jesus and the dove landing, and my brother sent that dove down the, the, the line to my dad's hand uh, at the other end of the fishing line. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. Uh, how did he do that? Um, other things my dad would do, but all for the sake of the gospel that people would hear it and remember it and that God would use it to change them. It wasn't for his own glory. My dad is a humble man that sought the glory of the gospel, that people would believe Christ and rejoice in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul, served with great humility. Secondly, he served without shrinking. Verse 20, he says that, they, that these elders know he said, you know that I have not hesitated. I have not hesitated. Other translations, I, have not shrunk, I do not, have not shrunk back from preaching anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, that, that may not sound like a big deal to us who live in such a safe, protected community. I could easily preach whatever I believe God spoke through his word without any fear of any authority coming in saying, we're going to close you down and arrest you, pastor. I have really no fear of that in our community today. I have no fear at all that I could go from house to house throughout Johnson County and encourage, you to encourage people to believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sure there'd be a couple doors shut, no doubt. But there's no one that's going to physically harm me for, for, for preaching the gospel. But Paul, in verse 23, says, In every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He had the courage to face dangers without hesitation. He did not shrink back. He was not afraid to face confrontations and even threatening people because he was willing to serve his Lord. His confidence had nothing to do with those who were against him. Because it's, it's easy to be confident when you know that they can't do anything to you because they're too weak. You know, it, it's, it's maybe a silly illustration, but it, it, think of the, the athlete that goes into a contest with absolute confidence that they're going to crush their opponent. I mean, I remember coaching basketball in a, in a conference in which there was a, a school that was a tiny little school. 
And we knew every year we were going to crush them. They were just a tiny little school. They could not compete with the bigger schools that were in our conference. Now, we weren't that big of a school compared to the public school uh, around us, and they would crush us. Uh, but we knew going in that if we wanted to, we would easily crush them by 40 on the basketball court. We didn't do that. We were better, better than that. But we knew. Now, that's not what this is about. It's not that Paul knew that his opponents were so physically weak in comparison to him. He knew that in every city he went, he would be beaten. He would face imprisonment. There were several times that Paul was stoned and whipped and even one time left outside of town because they thought he was dead. No, his confidence did not come because he knew that his enemies were powerfully weaker than him. His confidence is solely in the grace of Christ in the power of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Man can't do anything to me. Even if they kill me, they can't do anything to me because I'm in Christ, and Christ sets people free. Even these enemies can be set free. He did not shrink in the face of any opposition. He served without shrinking, never hesitating to preach the good news of God's grace. Oh, how I wish I could say that of myself. There have been so many opportunities that come right into my face, right into my presence of someone that needs to hear the gospel, and I shrink because I want them so badly to like me. I want them so badly to stay in our church. I want them so badly to think good of us. But they need the gospel. Now, thankfully, I haven't always shrunk but Paul had the confidence that in Christ, anyone can be transformed. He did not shrink. He served humbly with great humility. He served without shrinking. And that leads to very closely related, he served without wavering. Notice what he says in verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in, our, in the Lord Jesus. There were times that Paul would certainly change his techniques to fit the audience to whom he was preaching, but the message never wavered. It didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Greek. All men need to repent and turn to God. Now, when he was in a Greek city, he referred to the statues of the idols that were around them, the things that they worshipped, and he pointed to Christ, the true God who should be worshipped. But to the Jews, he would take them to the Old Testament, to Father Abraham, to Moses, and, and show them that, that Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Certainly, he would change his techniques, but the message always came back to Jesus Christ and that you must repent and believe in him and be saved. The message never wavered. Sadly, however, in our day, the message has been altered to draw people into churches and become givers rather than drawing, to, drawing them to Christ that they may receive Him. We must never waver from the simple gospel message. We are sinners who need to repent and turn to God. We must walk by faith in Christ, which, which leads to the fourth quality of Paul's ministry. He served in great humility without shrinking or wavering. And then fourthly, he served faithfully to the end. In verse 24 he says, my only aim is to finish the race. 
and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Now, again, I, we need to remember the context in which he's saying this. They will never see him face to face again. He's heading back to Jerusalem where the persecution is intense. And it's not as though Paul was just some unknown preacher. He left Jerusalem with the authority of the Jewish leaders to go into other cities and arrest anyone who believed that Christ was the Messiah and bring them back so they could be persecuted even more. He was the prince that was being sent out as the great persecutor. But now he's going back as the apostle to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. He was absolutely hated at this point by the Jews. In the minds of the Ephesians, of the Ephesian elders, there's no way that Paul was going to leave Jerusalem alive. Paul wasn't so sure either. And yet he was able to faithfully serve until the end. I must finish my race. I must complete the task that I was given to do by the Lord Jesus. This is not my ministry. I'm a humble servant. This message will not be believed because it's my message. It is the message that was given to me by Jesus Christ. If anyone believes, it's because of Jesus. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I must not shrink. I must not waver. I must be faithful to the end. Wherever God's grace puts me, with whomever, whomever I encounter, I must be faithful to proclaim this glorious good news. Paul is was the servant of the Lord. And the servant's sole purpose is to serve his master and to please him. One day the servant must give an account of his service in the ministry. And Paul was ready for that day. Now his message to them takes a turn at this point. Away from himself, as he encourages the leaders to continue in the ministry of the word. And let's look briefly at that. He encourages and warns these leaders, and I hope that you can also see, though, that this is not merely for those elders to hear on that day. Obviously, the elders are, are elected to represent the body, and, and this ought to be heard and exemplified even by your leaders as, as elders today as well. You should expect them to live up to what Paul says in these verses. It's an expectation of every elder. However, the whole body is involved in the ministry of the Word in, one, in some sense, we, in that we are all gifted and, and are to be equipped to serve the body by works of service. And so it's fair to say that Paul's encouragement to the elders from Ephesus applies to our elders, but there are also applications to the whole body. And so the first thing that he says to them, pay careful attention to what? What's interesting, he calls them later, he calls them those who are sanctified. And so I, I phrase this as to pay careful attention to the sanctification of yourself and the whole body and the flock of which Christ has given you. Pay careful attention to your sanctification, to your growth in holiness, 
to your growth and becoming more and more like Christ and saying no more and more to sin. Pay attention. Guard it. Verse 28, Paul says, keep watch. Guard yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you to be overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. This is similar, isn't it, to if you remember the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. When Paul told Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. It's basically the same exhortation. He charged him to watch or to guard his life and his doctrine. Same thing to the Ephesian elders. Paul has already made it clear that he's not concerned about guarding and protecting himself physically. But he is incredibly concerned about their spiritual well-being about their spiritual walk with Christ. Guard your sanctification. Don't get lazy when it comes to your own growth in Christ, in the growth of his sheep. And by the way, don't ever forget that you belong to the true shepherd. He says, these are the sheep that have been given to you, but they belong to Christ. They were bought by his blood. Guard them. Your elders are designated shepherds. But there is only one true shepherd of your soul. Christ will enable you to grow, and he uses these designated shepherds, these these designated leaders to build you up and to equip you for works of service. Now, all that sounds sweet and wonderful. Uh, You've heard me say such things for years from this pulpit about the, the ministry of the elders. You know, you should know that that's one of their roles. But we also know how how difficult that is to grow. How difficult sanctification is to become more and more like Christ. It it would be wonderful if if it was such a smooth and easy road to walk on. But we know that there are steep hills. There are dark valleys. There are rugged, dangerous cliffs along the pathway in this world as we travel toward heaven. We know it's not easy. And so Paul encourages these these shepherds but he also warns us. Secondly, he says, protect the body from wolves inside and out. And we need to recognize that. Yes, we know that there are wolves out there, that there are people that are antagonistic and hateful of the church and would love to make the church look like it's a horrible place to be. We know that there are wolves outside. But Paul warns that there are also wolves that come from within. And it's your shepherd's responsibility, in part, to protect you as a body from the wolves out there and the wolves that could come from within. Many years ago, uh, when I was a pastor in Alabama, we had a man start coming to our church. And I, there are very few men or very few people, rather, that I know that knew as much of the Bible as he did by memory. Uh, I was amazed at how many verses he had committed to memory, and he was so encouraging in our adult Sunday school class. He would come every Sunday, and, and as he would interject within the class, and it was amazing how much Scripture he had committed to memory. However, after about a month or so, maybe two months, someone came to me and said, did you realize, and I don't remember the guy's name anymore, I'll just call him Bob, do you realize that, that Bob doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I said, What? yeah, he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. 
And so I set up a meeting with, with Bob or whoever his name was and, and had him come to my office. I wanted to know if this was true. I mean, I couldn't imagine it to be true with all the scripture that he had known. Now, you also have to understand that this guy was at least three inches taller than me and had a, at least 50 pounds on me, and it wasn't fat. I mean, he, he was pure muscle. He would give Chris Jones a hard time. He was a, I mean, he was ripped. He was a, a traveling bricklayer. I mean, he was massive. And I invited him into my office, and we had to, had, to, had to have a talk about who Christ is. What do you believe about Christ? And he absolutely denied the deity of Christ. He believed that he was simply a man. And I had, after, after a good conversation, I had to tell him, you need to leave. You're not welcome in our church. We, don't, we, we cannot have you in our Sunday school class anymore. You cannot come if you're not going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was a wolf. He was a wolf uh, in sheep's clothing, committed a lot of scripture memory, but denied the very essence of Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that we misunderstand about the Scriptures that we disagree on, that we don't understand. But, and there's a lot of Christians that, that, that come to our church, people that, that have joined our church that don't believe everything exactly the same way that we do, but we know that we're believers. We know that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and there are things that you can just let go and overlook and think it's not that big of a deal. We don't need to make an issue out of it. But the deity of Christ, the fact that He is the Son of God, that is an essential that cannot be wavered upon. That's a wolf. The enemy of God will attack his church in a variety of ways. So we must be careful to pay close attention to our own growth in Christ. And then also Paul says to persevere in building up one another through the word. As much as we love our fellowship and the relationships that we, we treasure in this church, our greatest strength comes through our commitment and devotion to the Word of God. Remember Paul's example. He went from house to house, teaching them. And now in verse 32, he says, I commit you to God and to the Word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. The Word of God will build you up. Once again, we come back to the, to the power of God's Word at work in the life of His children. We must remain committed to the teaching ministry of the Word of God. Not that, 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 that many weeks ago, we saw that at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem, that the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were devoted to teaching whatever they received from the Holy Spirit. And the people were devoted to hearing whatever they taught. Over and over and over, we see that in the book of Acts, there are dangers inside and outside, and yet as, as they remain faithful to the ministry of the Word, we hear Luke repeat, and the word continued to spread. Not the fame of Peter. Not the fame of, of any of the apostles. The word continued to spread, and many more believed in Christ. It's the word of God that is the primary means of grace that God has given to his church so that we may grow and be built up. That's the primary reason that I, I wanted us to Read through the Bible together as a church family, not because I thought that nobody was doing it. I knew that a lot of you already did this on a regular basis, but as a family, we need to read through the God's Word and be devoted to the Word of God first and foremost. 
Wait, why do we believe what we believe? Do you know what you believe? How can we stand and stand out as lights? We must believe that by the hearing of the Word of God, we will be changed, and anyone can be changed. Paul also told Timothy that the Word of God is useful in the life of the believer. We must humble ourselves and admit we're not the smartest person in the room, but that the Holy Spirit will use His servants as they are devoted to His Word to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us toward greater godliness. I've had the blessing of having many people in, our, in, the, in my years of ministry the word, of, the, of the Word that knew more than I did on, on different topics. I'll never forget, I hope, the Sunday that I walked into the sanctuary and took my seat, and I looked up, and sitting right where you guys are, maybe the second row, was Dr. Robert Raymond and his wife. Dr. Raymond was the professor that I respected the most in my seminary training. He taught systematic theology. Throughout my ministry up to that point, if I had questions on a theological matter that I couldn't figure out in my own reading, I didn't hesitate to call Dr. Raymond. And he would love to talk to me about it. And he would encourage me in this or in that. And, and over the, the course of the ministry, I'd love, and there he is. Oh, no. What am I saying today? And then I thought, oh, no, it's the Lord's Supper. I got to do everything exactly right. I mean, I was so intimidated by Dr. Raymond. And yet week after week, and unfortunately, in the, just in the providence of God, his time was short by the time that they moved here and he passed away. But I was blessed to have the opportunity to conduct his funeral. But week after week that he was here and healthy, he would walk through that set of doors and thank me for the ministry of the Word. I was just blown away by the humility of a man that I considered and, and truly a giant in the faith that understood the Word of God far, far more than this man. And yet he humbly received the word and was grateful. He knew that God's word, even in the hands of a man that was his student, but that God's word would build him up and equip him for more works of service. He was devoted to the Word of God. So must we. And then lastly, and I know this sounds like just a nice tag at the end of the message, but notice how Paul ended his time with his brothers from Ephesus. They prayed with one another. In verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. We must never, never underestimate the power that is granted to God's people when we humble ourselves and get on our knees and pray together. There's no doubt that Paul spent a lot of time in private prayer. Uh, if we backed up this passage and started reading verse 13, we'd see that, that Paul sent Luke and the rest of the team in a, in a boat to sail to the next place, and Paul decided he was going to walk. It was only a 10, uh, probably about a 10-hour walk. Paul could accomplish it in a day, but he sent the others off in a boat. Many people speculate that the reason that Paul did that was he wanted to spend a time 
spent time alone with God in prayer as he walked to the next place, preparing what he was going to say to the elders in Ephesus. It's, it's mere speculation, but we know that Paul devoted himself to prayer, and he prayed often alone. But he was also greatly committed to praying together. He cherished praying together with his brothers and sisters. God has given us his word as a means of, of growth and edification, but he also has given us this tremendous privilege of prayer. It's become more and more important to me over the years that we devote ourselves more and more faithfully to this great ministry of prayer. We must pray, and we must pray together. You should not rely merely on me praying for you. Of course I will, but it's far better if we pray together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, that is part of our bond. Unfortunately, I think we look at some of the prayers within the church service as merely a convenient time for people to move around and get to their places. I was even asked, again, years ago, to pray a little longer to give people time to get to their spot. What does that say about how we view prayer? Now, I'm not saying that you can't walk and pray at the same time. I'm not saying, of course, we can't. But it is a distraction, isn't it? Especially if you're coming with other people, and such as I do every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'll close in prayer, and during that prayer, what do I do? I ask the elders to come forward. Now, I don't pay attention to them, but I wonder, do they get to here and figure out who's going to go in the pew first and, and line up? And are they, certainly they're distracted from the prayer. As the choir comes and goes from the chancel during prayers, Certainly they're distracted from praying. Maybe you're distracted by their coming and going from, in, in, from praying as well. What does that say about our, our, our value of prayer? We are coming before the very throne of the living God. But no, this is just our time to get to our spot. We must recognize the importance that Paul places on praying with the elders as they're going through a very emotional and difficult journey. Oh, that we would pause and pray more often. 